0: Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by drugs, there's no problem that a little Coke and Pop Rocks can't solve. Let's dim the lights and start the show.
1: Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Buster Burger. Bring your max lax because once you try our combo buster, you won't want to wait for dinner at Buster Burger. Uh, Welcome everybody to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. Wow! And <laughs> <So> <laughs> welcome good. to the vessel where we are filmmakers and actors, uh, writer. I've been doing a lot of writing lately. It's been amazing, um, and we use all of that to analyze and look at films. Todd's a musician. In fact, you're right now. Well, we there's bigger conversations coming, but uh, you're you just finished mixing a new album. Um, you're about to send it to mastering. Um, and then we have all kinds of treats and surprises coming after that. But could you please just explain for the dum dums uh who don't know, you know, a, a record from a vinyl it what what the difference is between mixing and mastering. Um aren't they the same exact thing? Aren't records and vinyls completely different things? Like what's going on in this in this universe, Todd? <laughs> this is uh okay. Um so For those who are not like
0: uh, in the music, no, I'm sure most people do. But if you don't, when you make music, you you have the process of production where you actually produce it. You write it and then you produce it and you record it. Then when it's done being recorded, you mix it. You either do it yourself or you pay someone to do it that. And I always recommend paying someone to do it. Always, always. Even if you're good at it, just somebody outside, you know like, like, this is what I hear. Oh, interesting. You know, like just collaboration. Uh, But then after it's mixed, you send it to a guy to do what's called mastering, which is you take it and you make it, you basically put the, the top varnish on, on it. So imagine, imagine carving something out of wood, right? And then when you're done carving it, you sand it, right? That's the mixing. And then imagine after that, you put varnish on it to protect it and seal it and make it look pretty that's the mastering it's like you take it and you just put a a coat of beautifulness on it um that's the best way to describe it Mm -hmm. uh also it it boosts the the level the volume the loudness to a place where you know one it doesn't hurt your ears but two it's at the right loudness for spotify and streaming or and or for vinyl if you're going to press vinyl or for CD, if you're going to press CD, or for cassette, which I'm going to do. I'm going to do cassette, and I'm going to do vinyl. Yeah, I know. I know. It's like, whatever. Child of the 90s. (laughs) Sue me. Um, But all of these have a different what's called loudness uh, meter. Uh, I think Spotify is negative 14 LUFS, uh, and Apple Music is negative 12. And, you know, I think vinyl is like something something else so but they all have different loudnesses and so which means when you put it when you turn it up to you know your your uh, volume in your car to 20 or whatever it sounds as loud as you know, another band that's like you. you so for me if they turned up to 20 my record uh on an aggressive song it'll sound as loud as block party right so there's like an an agreed mm-hmm. upon loudness so that's what ma- mastering is. And that's what I'm going through right now. The mixing is done and then it's going to mastering. And then I don't know.
1: <laughs> we'll see.
0: We'll see. I'm just a dude making music. So,
1: so just a clarity for me, they're going to master and it's going to be one file or it's going to be like a dozen for each one of these services.
0: Oh, sorry. Yeah. So there's, so the other thing that mastering does is it puts everything in order and it, and the, the timing between songs. So if you've ever listened to a CD for those of you who are old enough to listen to CDs, you have beginnings and ends of songs. And sometimes another song will start before the la- that song ends, right? Mastering will tell that, will do that. It'll also put in um, metadata. So mm. if you have um, what's called ISRC codes, each song has an ISRC code, which allows you know ASCAP, BMI, to find it if it gets played and make sure you get paid. Those ISRC codes are embedded into the tracks themselves. Also, like um, hashtags and stuff, like mm-hmm. saying what, describing the music itself, and a a type of music. So if it's indie rock, you, you know you label it indie rock. If it's like hard metal or something, you label it that. And all that metadata is really important, especially nowadays when you stream stuff. So um, all of that gets embedded too. That's what mastering does. Mixing doesn't do any of that stuff. So it just prepares it to be released
1: nice yeah Yeah. i I didn't know they handled the metadata aspect of that that's really cool oh yeah and then you know a lot
0: of times whenever cds were a thing you know bands would have like hidden songs Mm -hmm. you know so you'd have a song at the end of the record and it would end but then there'd be silence and then maybe there'd be another song i've done that
1: yeah you know yeah you have elephant song uh damien rice oh has one uh uh eskimo friend um yes uh, his album my gosh yeah like that record. Yeah, Genuine used to do that a lot on his uh uh first album The Bachelor. Yeah. So that's yeah. a it's a really popular thing. Yeah. I'm,
0: I I'm, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's like the the little teaser at the end of, you know, uh Marvel movies. Yeah. It's, it's like it's really cool. And we don't really have that anymore with streaming because everything is a singles world, but they would do that where you you add the silence and then you put the song there, you know, whatever. So, yeah, mastering can do a lot of really cool things. Um, and also you mix everything to, for it to be the way you want it. You get mm. it as close as you want, as you can. But then when you master things, basically you add a comp- you know, compressors and EQs and stuff and like, like multi-band compressors. It's like confusing, but that will bring some stuff up and push some stuff back and it can ebb and flow. So if in one section, I purposefully mix the snare a little too loud, right? So that in mastering, it can squish it a little bit, which will allow the vocal to pop out, right? So sometimes you mix for a master um, as well, because compressors do really weird things. EQs do really weird things, but long story short, it's magic. It's black magic and... Don't dive into it because you'll (laughs) lose your soul.
1: (laughs) Dude, that's so exciting, man. Yeah, I can't wait to to discuss more and hear some of those tracks. I listened to the album last night, y'all, and uh, it's magic. I cannot wait for everyone to hear it. Uh, We'll be pimping the hell out of that thing. Nice. With that, what kind of uh, music are we jamming to today, man? Today,
0: we are covering Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. So if you haven't seen this film uh, right now, it's still in theaters pause the episode go watch it we're going to spoil a bunch of stuff
1: for sure uh we'll look at a bunch of things mostly around story and writing uh leaning into exposition some of the moral dilemmas and the trolley problem uh using music to tell an efficient story and other such stuff and things and stuff a quick synopsis of the film i might butcher (laughs) some of these
0: (laughs) these names i think wes has got it out for me he's putting a (laughs) lot of names on here these days uh here we go Miles Morales catapults across the multiverse where he encounters a team of spider people charged with protecting its very existence. Directed by Joachim Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. Written by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller and Dave Callaham. It's featuring Shemek Moore as Miles Morales, uh, Haley Haley Steinfeld as Gwen Stacy, Jake Johnson as Peter B. Parker, Oscar Isaac as Miguel O'Hara, Jason Schwartzman as Spot, Marashala Ali as Uncle Aaron, and Daniel Kaluuya as Hobie.
1: Not bad. I think you only butchered two of them, so... I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a win.
0: <laughs> you and me, it's... We're the
1: same. In the important ways, <laughs> you know... <laughs> in every other
0: universe, Gwen Stacy falls for Spider-Man. And in every other universe, it doesn't end well. Well, it's the first time for everything, right?
1: All right, Todd, um, Spider-Verse, uh, just mediocre animation, comic book, superhero movie.
0: <laughs> Man, this is what superhero movies are all about. This movie is incredible. <laughs> it is beyond incredible. Like, th- okay, this movie to me feels like they made it the way that I feel like I made my album. Mm which is which is let's take everything that we know pull in the stuff that we really love and and hammer that home and let like not give a shit about anything else just make the movie that we have in our heads and our hearts right and this one even more than the last one feels much more like a full emotional story to me the first one was amazingly it was amazing to look at right mm-hmm. it was I mean, it's a good story too. Don't get me wrong. You know, like, like we won't talk about it, but it was a great story too. But this one feels so complete. I feel so much more like I identify with Miles. Like I know what he's thinking and feeling and emotional. The mom has such an important, and dad, the parents have such an important role in this, in this movie, which is honestly opposite from every, except for maybe, you know, like some, uh, the more recent, um, live action Spider-Man. Really, it's more, those are more about Spider-Man. This one feels more about the relationship with his family and how, and how him being Spider-Man hurts that, right? Which, which I know is a, is a thing that they're hammering home that they, that they like, but they're hammering it home in a way that makes you, maybe it's because I'm a parent now. I don't know, but I felt, I really felt that that conversation that he has with his mom um, after Gwen leaves and that, where they're in the water tower, I don't know where they're sitting, whatever at the party. It's such a great conversation where she just, she looks at him and she knows he's going through something and she sits there and she talks to him in a real way, the way that a friend should Mm. talk to, to him. And, you know, I, I mean, I never had that growing up. I don't think you did either. Probably, you know, Mm. uh, like my, I was always growing up. I was always like the kid, no matter what, if I was going through a breakup or if I was going through like some kind of emotional turmoil, I always felt like I couldn't talk to my parents because they were like, what? You're depressed? Oh my God. And they would make a huge deal about it instead of just like listening and talking or trying to understand or like looking at me like a human being, like a person rather than their kid. And I feel like that conversation was emotional for me because I was like, yeah, that's how a parent should be. You should talk. Like a friend to your kid, you know, when especially when they need it, when you feel like they're slipping away, and it was such a great moment, great scene that they they gave him, and then to have him realize his full potential and power uh, later on in the film, where where you know they were telling him that he was an anomaly and and he ruined st- or it the you know the spider wasn't supposed to bite him and and he ruined everything and or is ruining everything. And if he saves his dad, it's going to ruin everything. And he, he just realized absolutely like, that's ridiculous. And I am going to do what I need, what I need to do to save my father. And, be, you know, like uh universe be damned, you know, it was just, it was an interesting way to put the universe at stake, which all superhero movie, you know, like that's the epitome, save the universe, <laughs> right. but to put it, in a different way because it's at stake only because he's going to save his dad. It's not at stake. If he does nothing, it's the opposite. It it was such a cool story twist to have that. And obviously visually they tell with such a beautiful story. Gwen, um, coming, you know, that whole scene with Gwen and her dad after she comes back, um, and they end up making up and and they hug with the whole, the whole, um, scene melting around them was like unbelievable. Such a beautiful way to put, to visually tell a story, you know, and her animation in her universe is slightly different than his animation is slightly different than who's the, the main Spider-Man guy. I forget. Oh, Miguel, O'Hara. Uh, Miguel, 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 yeah. then Miguel's uh, animation. And then all the other Spider-Men and all the other Sp- that are there, they all have their own thing. Just absolutely brilliant. And the fact that it's, I mean, we've already called a spoiler alert on mm-hmm. this. So and the fact that it's a two-parter yeah. was heartbreaking and <laughs> fucking awesome at the same time, I just have to say. And I saw it twice. I saw it once before I brought my son because I want to make sure it wasn't too violent for him. And then when I after I realized it was, wasn't that bad, I brought him and he said the same thing. He said, wow, when it said to be continued, I was so, I was mad. But then- I realized, oh, that means we're going to get a whole nother movie. Oh, that's oh. so I was really actually happy about that. So anyway, fantastic performance is fantastic. The writing is fantastic. Animation is brilliant. They used a 14 year old boy and his father to do the, the, the Lego scene, which is awesome. Uh, and just like, why not? Yeah. You know, why not? He, the thing he did that we cut that we saw was amazing. That's absolutely good enough to be in the film. And then he delivered something even better, you know. So it just felt like they made a movie for themselves. And it turned out to be freaking amazing because they did that. And it, it's just really endearing. So I loved it. Ten out of ten.
1: Yeah, it feels like the kind of thing that happened. And I feel like I, I read somewhere that the studio Marvel or Disney, however you want to frame it, wasn't. Keeping their eye on this because the expectations were non-existent, right? Whenever they made the first film, there was no oversight, you know, kind of pressing, you know, you need to be doing this and make it look more Pixar or anything like that, right? So they kind of just got to throw all the caution to the wind and, like you said, tell the story they really wanted to tell. You know, it doesn't matter because no one cares. This This is free house money. Uh, no one's expecting anything out of it. So anything that we, we do, uh, is it's win-win like we can't lose. So why not just go for it? And I'll, I'll link a, uh, uh, a, a Vox. I think it's Vox. It's someone, no, it's wired. Uh, there's this wired piece that I think you sent me where they talk about all the ways that they re-envisioned animation, uh, for the first film. And it's so genius. There's, I think out of all the things they talked about, I, I noticed maybe two of those, um, now maybe, you know, it's the kind of thing we'd pick up on if we put it under the microscope, but having only watched it, you know, the one time I was like, oh, I see they're doing this and this. And, and then they just pulled back a thousand other layers that I was just floored by, uh, the level of thinking and innovation, you know, it's been a lo- it's been since Pixar that we've seen that much innovation, uh, in animation. And so it's really, really cool, uh, what they did visually. Um, and I'll save that for the actual geniuses to talk about uh, at the link in the show notes. But it did. It did feel like they got to do whatever they wanted. And this is you know fun for them and it, in so many ways. But walking out, I had the exact same reaction that as much as I liked the first one, and it's so good, it's so well told, and it's brilliant in its own way. All the humor is so much better in the first one. But the emotion is so much richer in this one. It's so much more resonant and it's hitting these notes that you don't get to see superhero films hit, or they don't even try most of the time. Not to say that they can't, they just, they're focused on whatever their four quadrants and, you know, getting in and out of scenes and blah, blah, blah. But even that clip that we played, there's so much in the body language. Like, Uh, not to say that animations don't think about body language. They absolutely do. Uh, but the, the humanism that's in there, it feels like you're just watching people, this guy and this girl, will they, won't they kind of thing. And you see him hoping and retreating. You see her noticing and, uh, almost taking a a devilish pleasure in it. Like, yeah, I know what you're feeling, bro. (laughs) Like, (laughs) welcome to my world, you know? And so there's all kinds of elements and layers That are subtextual. It's just in the body language that you just don't get that much of, you know, in in animation for sure. Uh, But there's other things that, you know, I want to talk about here in a few minutes uh, that they're doing that you don't see a lot of in superhero movies either in live action. Uh, But yeah, the emotion is what I was there for. Yeah, I don't know. I'll dive into some of this stuff because I, I love this movie so much. For one, this is some, some of the same stuff they did in the first one, which is uh, the exposition. I'm, all I'm talking about is story and writing. So even if I'm not talking about story and writing, I'm talking about story and writing. It's the exposition, right? They don't shy away from it. And instead, they just lean all the way into it. Um, it's like, okay, yeah, we know so many writers and exposition is the hardest thing. Part about writing a story, uh, a screenplay, because you want to do it in a way that's invisible to the audience. You want to let them know what kind of world they're in, what these characters have experienced, what their background is, what they hope for. Uh, That's all exposition. You're all trying to tell things that, you know, have nothing to do maybe with. Uh, two characters having a conversation about coffee or whatever going on a date. And so you're trying to always find these invisible ways of inserting the exposition um, so that the audience doesn't feel like they're being condescended to, or that you're boring them with, you know, backstory. And here they're like, nah, not only are we're going to give you exposition, we're going to let you know we're giving you exposition uh, every time they introduce a new spider character right it's all exposition and instead of like trying to make it invisible, uh, they light it up in christmas lights and and you know the big arc beam studio spotlights uh, and it's just let's celebrate it instead but they make it work because obviously it's entertaining um, that goes without saying but it's also because we're never looking at who is speaking right they're using montage um, in fast cuts and they're kind of zipping you through it Um, it's the level of you know humor um, but Instead of watching, and this is what makes so much exposition bad. There's a lot of ways that you can do exposition badly. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But one of the ways is that you're just kind of watching someone talk about their past. Uh, it better be a really good monologue, you know, if you're going to get away with that, but otherwise you're just staring at someone giving you information. That's not very interesting. Um, you're, you're boring the audience and instead of doing that, right, we cut away. We're always cutting away or we're watching someone's reaction to the information that's being given to them because now it's not just about, okay, we're learning something. Instead, we're watching someone react to this information because it's relevant and important to them watching miles react to his place in the universe. is so much more interesting than watching, you know, all these cutaways and the cutaways are good to establish, you know, some element of what they're talking about to give you context, but watching miles react to it is so much more powerful because now we're talking about how he shouldn't be the life that he knows shouldn't exist. You're wrong. Ooh, emotion going back to that freaking, uh, 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 not a through line, but the heartbeat of the film, right? It's all in the emotion. And so, just a great use of exposition in a thousand ways, because you know we spend a good third of the movie uh, going through exposition. Um, and you better make it good and interesting and entertaining. Uh, and those are some of the ways that I think they do a great job of of executing that. The other element in this, again, uh, this is story writing, but the music in this movie, so good. Because they're using music to create a vibe, of course, and but using a tune, right, to tell some kind of emotional story. And this is what music does far, far better than than movies and, and TV, which is to tell a story in a shorter amount of time, right? You can, in two and a half minutes, the Beatles can tell me about how they fell in love with a girl, you know, and half of that story is being told through the music itself, Right. Just seen a face, um, you know, is, is an incredible song. And half of it is feeling the 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 speeding up of their heartbeat in that song. Like that's telling so much of this emotional journey that he's talking about in his words. Um, and you get it. You just get it, right? Um, it's the human element of storytelling. And for Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, right? It's so efficient. It's efficient AF is what I wrote in my seat, Uh, because in 30 to 60 seconds at the beginning of the film, right, we watch this whole story play out of Gwen and Peter, of how she loses Peter. And it's so quick. It's so tight in 30 to 60 seconds. Right. It's a montage and it's with music and just a line here or there of dialogue. Um, And it's and that music is filling in so much emotion. Right. It's so tragic. Um, And you feel the heartbreak of not just losing her friend, but also feeling that her identity is at stake with her father. Right. Because now she lost her, her two things, two most important men in her life. Boom. One fell swoop. Through no fault of her own, of course, which her dad doesn't understand yet. But the whole film does this. The whole film utilizes music to walk an audience through the normal comic book experience, right? Adventure, like, you know, we're going to have this bouncy, dramatic adventure kind of music. um, That's him swooping through the city, all that. Of course, danger, right? Well, no danger is present through dangerous music. Ominous tones, right? For mystery. Uh, what's going on? What's behind that door? All that, whatever stuff. That's all normal uh, romance, right? We're going to have some romantic music strike. That's all there. That's all normal. But on top of all that stuff, it also adds in a lot of melancholy and interior emotions that are very rare in comic book films. And it uses that music that uh, that isn't as broad and safe as typical comic book films, Right? We're going to use hip hop in a way that we're not used to using hip hop in films. Now, thankfully, since the nineties, hip hop has become like a mainstream thing. Like everyone listens to it and you're, it's in films that probably otherwise, if you made this in the nineties or before, like it would not have been in a, in a mainstream movie. Right. But now it's everywhere. And, but there's certain elements and layers of hip hop that you still don't see in pop films. And they're using that they're using punk right Uh, in this film all kinds of music that you otherwise wouldn't really get to sit and vibe with they're doing that because it's not just a part of the miles experience uh, but it's also communicating these emotional layers of what he's dealing with in his life genius just a really really great use of pushing the boundaries a little bit i mean don't get me wrong it's not like they're playing gangster, you know, Biggie Smalls rap in the middle of a fight scene or something. Um, But they are pushing a little bit of the boundaries and layers of what you see in pop, you know, comic book films, uh, according to me anyway. And just to go back to the emotions, I love that this movie does not shy away from emotions at all. Because again, it's hand in hand with the music choices so much, so much throughout the film. But there's all these other little emotional beats that are full of character. Full of, you know, these uh, internal lives like Gwen at the beginning, uh, right? She's, we see her, right? Being this tough, hardcore, no nonsense, badass, doesn't need a ban or to be liked or to be understood, right? But she does need a hug from her dad. Oh. Mm-hmm. At the, I, yeah, I guess it's at the end of the film. You know, she she gives him another hug. This one, I think it represents very much the emotional journey of the dad, not just her, when she pulls him to her. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. The relationship has changed now. And that's represented through the way they do a hug. <laughs> like what? Yeah. All yeah. through this movie is just layers and layers and layers. It's really just genius storytelling. The other thing that I love that to do with the story is something that you uh the transitions. There's some really beautiful opportunities that you can do in animation that you can't do in live-action film or at least as easily. Um, And so it's taking advantage of animation's possibilities, right? She walks out of the rehearsal space right into downtown New York, right? Those things are clearly not connected, (laughs) but why not? Why wouldn't you do those things uh, in an animation? Um, Because you can, like, it's so hard. This is one of the things I love about animation is there's so much laziness in superhero films, and Marvel especially has gotten really bad at this, which is relying on visual effects and stunts to make it a good movie. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with the animation because we already know you can do whatever you want. So the action isn't as impressive. And so what, what do they have to do is double down on the story. They have to really tell a compelling story or else why do you care about a big explosion? You don't. Oh, cool! It's slow motion, so uh, you drew twice as many frames. Cool, like <laughs> it's just not impressive. Uh, they got to double down on the storytelling. Um, and another thing is an opportunity. These transitional moments between worlds, you know, it's an opportunity to mix in a new visual style, right? And in ways that uh, kind of break the mold of what they've been doing throughout the film. So, for instance, at the end uh, when. Gwen uses Hobie's wristband and it opens up a portal. It does it in the style of Hobie, right? She's using his wristband. And so the style that opens up is this kind of newspaper cutout mixed media collage style, right? It's very Hobie and it's just genius the way they're keeping evolving and using and recycling in ways that kind of innovate and speak to the story. It's it, it's never extravagant for the sake of being extravagant. It's always to create an impression um, on the audience in some way or another. Uh, it's just so well thought out. It's, it's really genius. And can I just say how awesome the use of spot in
0: this film is, is un unreal. Like, like a, in, in a, in a universe now our being our universe where the villains have to be bigger, badder and worse than the last one, no matter what, you know, And then we get to this we got to this climax with with Thanos and and like nobody can to me, I just don't see anybody competing with that. And so what do they do? They take a guy who's this week's villain, who's a, a goof, who can't even steal an ATM machine properly, who is funny, right, who was innocent and had something bad happen to him and the difference between we've we've talked about this on on this podcast before the difference between a hero and a villain isn't what happens to them it's how they respond to what happens to them and spots response was okay now i'm just going to i'm going to i have to steal atm machines cuz i need money and but whatever but i don't have this is my skin and but he's funny and you're laughing at that whole fight throughout the whole fight simon and i were sitting there and we were laughing right and he thought and he leaned over to me halfway through the movie and he said spot is the villain i did, i thought he was just like the first villain but he's like the real bad he's like the real bad guy and he loved that and i loved that i loved not we're not just seeing the evolution of miles we're seeing the evolution of spot throughout this whole thing right of of him realize realizing And accepting the fact that he is the bad guy and he needs to get revenge. And, and what do I, I'm going to go to this new, to this other universe and I'm going to get in this collider and I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to do what I got to do now. And we're watching that evolution through this from he's hilarious and I love seeing him, and I love their fight scene.
1: My holes can take me anywhere. Sir, <laughs> yes. can you please stop talking about your holes? It's making yes. everyone uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> Unbelievable writing. Unbelievable. And the the <laughs> casting was fantastic. Uh, Schwarzman was just a, he's so great. So great in this role. And um, so anyway, I just wanted to call Spot out, too, because, and I knew you probably were going to, but, like, it is, it's it's just, it was fun and funny where it needed to be, and then got serious real quick when it needed to get serious. And you and you knew when it was, like, when, when, oh, okay, now we're serious again. Even if just by the attitudes and and the music change and you know the body language like you were talking about earlier. They do so such a great job of looking at all those avenues and and shifting a little bit so that your the way that you view it changes. Right. Of like, okay, that was funny. Now let's get serious again.
1: Oh, that was hilarious. You know, and you're just all over the place,
0: you know? So anyway.
1: And on top of that, I'm glad you brought up Spot um, because I honestly had no focus on him whatsoever other than um, I noticed the way they colored him was a really fun, interesting way to approach his level of threat, which is at the beginning, you know, he goes completely white and he's completely harmless, right? He has no spots left. Um, And he's like, oh, man, uh, what am I going to do? And it's at around that point when he realizes I I need a lot of spots in order to accomplish my goals. Right. And so he goes from this kind of frumpy, you know, he's got toothpick legs. Right. And he's got this kind of dad bod square thing happening, completely white, very clean lines. Um, And then at the very end, uh, whenever he finally gets into the collider and he becomes, you know, a real threat. Suddenly he's blacked out and it's all fuzzy lines and the style of art itself changes into this more abstract approach because, you know, he's filled up with power now. Uh, and now you can feel the oppression like, oh, man, he can do anything now. Like he's got all kinds of power. And so just that visual shift along with the tonal shift that you're talking about, right? The comedy goes away and now it's all about revenge and how to best enact it. Uh, By taking everything away from Miles, the same way he took everything away from the spot. Yeah. God, these guys are good. Um, (laughs) uh, Let's talk about moral dilemmas. So, I think they did a great job of setting this up in the opening sequence, um, as I would expect. At this point, you know, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller and Dave Callahan and the directing team, they all have their work cut out for them because expectations are just rising and rising like you guys can't miss anything from now on ever again um, after doing something this good um but at the beginning of the film right Gwen's dad has to make a choice he's in a moral dilemma between choosing to arrest her or to protect her right choosing his job or family choosing the greater good according to society and his social commitments or choosing to break his oath in order to do what's actually right. As Gwen lays out, right. She says, dad, isn't your job about doing the right thing and protecting people. And he's having to decide between, you know, uh, his obligations, his commitments um, versus doing the actual right thing. And then of course, at the beginning, whenever he finds out, Oh, she's actually Spider-Man. I got to arrest you. I got to take you in right now. He's got, he's committing to doing the right thing according to the law. Like that's but of course, at the end, after losing her, and then she comes back, he does choose to be above the law and and instead give it up, right? And I think that ultimately gives her the courage to do the same thing for miles um, because what's at stake in the bigger universe is almost the exact same thing, which is uh, you have these canon events, right? Every spider-man goes through events they cannot change lest it create chaos throughout the spider-verse or throughout their own universe. Right. If you, if you don't have a Spider-Man, all these other uh, bad things are going to happen. And you know, a lot of people are going to get hurt. And so we have a, a, a stake here because miles, as you pointed out earlier, wants to choose saving his father versus saving the universe, so to speak um, in the, in the context specifically of what he's being tasked with is Let your father die so that we can obey canon events. Because according to Miguel's warnings, right, bad things happen. And so Miles, by not doing that, by choosing to save his father versus, you know, letting canon events unfold, uh, Miles has to fight the entire Spider-Man precinct, which is an echo of Gwen's father's dilemma, right? Um, The exact same thing. And so this is kind of a classic trolley problem. Um, it's, it's reversed a little bit. The normal trolley problem goes, there's a, a a viewer, an onlooker who's watching a trolley move towards killing five people. Right. And they have a switch that they can make it switch tracks and then kill one person instead. And now it's, that's a real moral dilemma. Do you choose to save more people? Does it matter who the one person is? Um, and there's just, it's it's a really interesting, insightful way uh, to have a conversation about tough choices um, that sometimes you need to make. But we're also not entirely sure if this is a trolley problem because we kind of have to take Miguel's word for it. Miguel's the one that's telling us bad things will happen. So we don't really know. And this is a classic authoritarian tactic, right? That authoritarians will tell you that you, they need to do whatever in order for the greater good to protect more people, right? Some magical president might come along and say, we need to pass a Patriot Act, you know, just to make up a completely random event. Um, And, you know, the Patriot Act is going to give up some of your rights, but it's for the greater good. We're going to help more people this way. Um, And so you can imagine, you know, some fictional fantastical element uh, in the real world like that, uh, for instance. (laughs) i can't uh, imagine that i can't either it's complete you know absurd uh mm-hmm. but it's i love that we have an actual voice i'm not just saying this and in, injecting it onto the film instead it's being voiced by hobie he's telling he's warning miles the whole way he's like hey don't sign up for something until you know what you're getting into like he's just warning him the whole way and i love Hobie at first was this character I didn't like, you know, the first time I meet him, I'm like, neither did Simon. <laughs> he's standing in the way between Quinn and miles. What are you doing? Um, and then as I started hearing what he was t- t- advising miles, I was like, no, 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 this is my dude. This yeah. is my guy. <laughs> so was Simon. And then, right. And then he's like, used palms, right? He's trying to tell him how to break out. I love Hobie as this uh Agent of chaos is the way I think of him. Yeah, great. great. God, he's so good. And so we have this kind of trolley-ish problem of do we do what's right according to our heart and what we just know is right, or do we try to serve the greater good? But I also love this problem specifically for Miles uh, because it's breaking the fourth wall. We've seen at least one other Marvel film or show Try to do this where we're like, we're gonna upset the, the the comic book universe, and they do it in the worst, cheesiest, hand-fisted way. It's garbage. This is how you do it. This is breaking the fourth wall in upending comic cliches about what it takes to become a superhero. This whole Miles Morales franchise is turning up comic cliches on the on the one hand, right? He's not white, right? He's not necessarily cool. He he's still a Peter Parker. He's still a nerd, right? Um, Spider Man doesn't have to be this perfect thing, right? That's why we have Peter B. Parker, right? The the the, the good Spider Man got killed, um, thanks to everything you know, Miles becoming you know the Spider Man. And so we still now we have this kind of lazy dad bod burnout. Peter B. Parker, um, Jake Johnson is so good. And, you know, the music, as we talked about earlier, is a bit of a upturning of, you know, superhero films. The visual style, I think, is the most true realization of a comic book adaptation since Scott Pilgrim. Like, it's just so good. And yet, you know, this whole universe is also not stereotyping or exclusionary, you know, either. It's not like they're saying, no white people, right? We have Miles and Gwen in a love story. Uh, we have a black punk rocker, right? There's no typecasting or any of that. It's just letting people be people. And it's saying that there's another way. And so I expect from here, uh, the next film, I my I don't know any about I don't know Miles Morales' story. This is me and my wishful wish casting. Um I expect them to talk about we don't need to be a superhero only through traumatic events. You don't have to be wounded to be amazing. And I, I really hope so because I think, you know, there's a, a fetishizing, uh, you know, over the last five, 10 years of trauma um, and and people feeling like they, they have all these traumas. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, maybe, but that, that's not for me to say for sure, uh, but you you shouldn't want it. <laughs> like, I feel like there's a, a layer of people wanting trauma in their lives, um, instead of looking for actual joy and light, you know, footedness. And, um, and I, I really hope they kind of address this concept through Miles's story of, he gets his father fine. Yes. He lost his uncle, but he doesn't have to lose his dad too. You know, we don't need more trauma for him to be, Spider-Man and to and to be effective and and accomplishing his goals. And I think they're doing a great job of just breaking the fourth wall, which they do every time they announce a new Spider-Man. Okay, one more time for the people in the back or whatever, right? That's all that's all fourth wall crushing. Yeah. I think in a number of ways they're just resetting what superhero movies can be. And it's all great. It's all for the good. Uh and I really hope that Marvel reevaluates the rest of the franchise based on what they're doing in this movie, uh, because they could learn a thing or two about stakes, like you said, uh, instead of having one person doomed and that you got to kill. Instead, it's about saving one person despite, you know, though, what's the what's the legal framework or legal uh, quote that's so uh, famous, something along the lines of uh, though the heavens fall, let justice be done like it doesn't matter. You got to save your dad. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the end of the story. Yeah. So I I love this whole approach. Every ounce of it I think is genius. Um and yeah, I'm here for it. All the I do have Ah, uh, man, I don't know. I think this is the casting is great. Schminkmore uh is phenomenal. Haley Steinfeld fantastic. Oscar Isaac great. Um, I think you ca- cast, I don't know that Oscar Isaac is bringing anything to this that you need Oscar Isaac for. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, I think you do need Shamik more. I think you need Haley. You absolutely need Jake Johnson. You, uh, Jason Schwartzman, you know, is fungible. You could probably get another actor in there who, who's doing what he's doing. I think you absolutely got to have Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, I don't think this works. Mm. You know, Hobie doesn't work without Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah. Um, and Marshall Ali uh, as Uncle Aaron perfect. I think he's great. He brings a lot to it. I think you bring Oscar Isaac in to maybe expand your 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 quadrants, right? Your your demographic, uh slap his name on the poster. Um and also you get to work with Oscar Isaac. (laughs) Like I'm never gonna fault a director for casting, ask you know someone like that because I would do that. I don't care if he's not the perfect role. I want to work with Oscar Isaac. (laughs) Yeah. Uh but then you also know he's gonna make it you know perfect for the role. Um, But there's other animations that I see and I'm like, I don't know that you need this cast. I think just voice actors you've never heard of would bring more to the experience. I don't think that's this movie. uh, I want to clarify this movie. All the casting is excellent. It's great. Um, It doesn't hinder the movie. I have seen other films, animations recently that I'm like, I think y'all hindered your movie by casting these people. Interesting. You know, there's there's voice actors, when they're doing what they do, they bring so much more than a dramatic actor brings to voice acting on average. Um, and it just depends on the style of the movie. I think Spider-Man, because it's at heart, it's a drama, this casting makes absolute perfect sense. Other films that are more fun, lighthearted, I think they're, they're shooting themselves in the foot by casting names, A-list actors, uh, just for the sake of trying to sell it they're not there. They're not going to sell it. The, your animation is going to sell it. And I wish some of these filmmakers had more confidence in, in their characters and their story to let that be enough and instead serve the audience better by getting voice actors who are incredible and, and bring a lot more texture and nuance to those performances. Um, But yeah, all that to say the casting here is great. I, I really wouldn't change anything as much as I, would be interested to hear other people read for Miguel O'Hara. Uh Oscar Isaac is freaking Oscar Isaac. Like I'm never gonna fault anybody for casting an incredible actor uh for a serious role. Like, yeah, great. Anyway, yeah. Uh what do you think? <laughs> oh,
0: I, I mean it yeah, all that was all great info. Um uh I think the only thing I would add is is my son, uh our little conversation that we had afterwards so he loved the movie and he you know he loves the idea of multiverse and time and space and everything we watched interstellar a couple of times together and he he just loves that kind of stuff anyway we were talking about it later that night and he goes he he goes hey he goes dad and i said said, yeah and then he just sat there for a second almost like the almost like the scene in dumb and Dumber. Wait.
1: (laughs) yeah i I just had an idea
0: (laughs) it was almost like that we just sat there and then he said uh hey so if the multiverse is every possibility that could possibly happen wouldn't there be some bad guy in the multiverse that found a way to destroy the multiverse Isn't that possible if there's a multiverse? And I was like, I'm sure if there was, if I was smarter, I could debunk that, (laughs) debunk that. But I, I was like, I, you might have just had a good argument against the existence of a multiverse, buddy, (laughs) Mr. Ten-Year-Old Kid. (laughs) That is brilliant. (laughs) I didn't have an answer for it. But like, that's from the minds of babes, you know, like it was just so, the mouths of babes, it was just so like innocent and beautiful. And this movie had him thinking about that kind of stuff, you know? And I think, I think seeing all the different versions of the, of Spider-Man, you know, the horse, uh, Spider-Man and like all, all the, the different versions made him start thinking of like all the different possibilities, you know, he hasn't seen everything everywhere all at once, but he kind of like knows the idea of anything can happen and does happen. And, um, so, for him to actually be thinking about that as a 10 year old kid because of this film was like inspiring and beautiful. And it, it created an, a conversation that like, you know, we might not have had a really smart thought out conversation that we might not have had. So for that, I'm forever thankful. And also, you know, like like just the nuance like you were talking about earlier, the nuance in every single scene and and purpose behind exposition kept information f- being fed to to us as viewers to him as a 10-year-old kid he understood that miles ended up in the wrong universe because of the spider bite he understood that but and because i had seen it once before and so when i was sitting there with him i was watching him as we're as we we as the viewer are learning Oh, wait, Gwen is there in his room, but he's not there. What is going on? As we're learning that, I'm watching him and his eyes like lit up like and and then he turned to me, he goes, he's in the wrong universe because of the spider bite. And he got it, you know, something so freaking complex where most people don't don't get it. Most grownups might not get it. Or a lot of grownups might not get it. This 10 year old kid understood because of the way they told the story and the editing, which is fantastic. Her sitting there outside of the, of the window, you know, like, like nervous about going in while Miles is having a conversation with his mom, telling his mom that he's Spider-Man and his mom saying who, and we're sitting there like, what do you mean who? And then Gwen goes into his room and he's not there we all know what's going on or most of us do A 10 year old boy figured it out. Such great storytelling. And then to have him to have him as the, uh, uh, mile, my- this version of miles is the bad guy because his father is dead in this universe at the end. Like just so brilliant. And my son loved it. So is fantastic.
1: That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, the use of 42. Normally when I see 42, of course, I usually think, um, hitchhiker's guide um in this case not so much i don't think it's a reference to that at all it seems on its nose like a a jackie robinson uh reference um because he is wearing a a brooklyn uh, jersey i want to say he's wearing a brooklyn jersey or it's on the wall or something Um, but it says brooklyn and 42 underneath it and of course jackie uh uh 42 yeah it's the only retired jersey across the league um in all of baseball yeah
0: I did not know that.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Wow. That's that's awesome. I like that so much
0: more yeah. than the Hitchhiker's, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. thing. I mean, I love Hitchhiker's Guide, and I love that that whole concept is is great. But I feel like it's been done. We need some other, yeah. you know, other other reason for 42. That's yeah. the best. And because, you know, I, I love that Miles is black. I love that it's not, you know, all... A huge, you know, white cast as normal, you know, and and to go deeper in to find other other important aspects, you know, like for forty two, like that. That's that's fantastic. I'm
1: all about that, man. Genius. Yes, really amazing. God, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love. I mean, they they it's it's humor, and I don't take it too personal. Uh, Like just the miles at the beginning you know uh, i forget his mom right she's like i'm i'm puerto rican like i'm we're we're part of america right um and then it's intercutting between that and him fighting with the the atm guy spot right and he's like why do people say atm machine like the m stands for machine and then of course you know we transition later whenever he's like uh chai tea chai tea <laughs> like it just means t you're saying tt so it's like the thing that he was given someone else grief for um as being used against him uh in this cultural you know context it's it's pretty good man there's just layers on layers on layers it's just wonderful yeah i think Think I I know I had a bunch of other thoughts and ideas, but it's it, it's infinite. Like this, there's it's a rabbit hole you can never stop falling down. Um, yeah. uh Any final comments? nope just this is. I mean, this
0: sets the bar for superhero movies for me. Uh, I mean, you know, and I'm I'm pretty hard on my superhero movies. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I I love them, and I'll I'm you know an easy lay when it comes to them. At the same time, I'm still very hard on them. So when I love them, I love them. This one just is this is how you tell a story, you know, and uh, CGI, whatever. I can get past it sometimes. um, And and, you know, a, a lot of things I can get past, but the story has to be there. And this is just the way to tell a story like this. It's absolutely brilliant. And I'm looking for this moving forward for everything, live action or not, <laughs> or, or, or animated. I don't care. Like yeah. this is, it's
1: fantastic. Yeah. So good. Um, nice. What are you going to recommend this week? Uh, in honor
0: of the tour de France starting yesterday, I'm going to recommend tour de France unchained. Uh, it's a series, uh, eight part series on Netflix, uh, following tour, the tour last year. And it's fantastic because it really puts in perspective, uh, the team aspect of, of cycling of, you know, a race like the tour de France or something like that. Um, and it's, it's told really, really well, uh, especially the last couple of episodes. So if you like cycling at all, I would definitely recommend it because these guys, I mean, they turn themselves inside out for three weeks straight and do unbelievable things to their body and then come back the next day and just do it again. And then it, it's just, it's their job. And uh, it's pretty amazing to watch, to be honest. So, yeah, Tour de France Unchained.
1: Well done. I debated. I want to recommend an album, and I was really close to recommending um, uh, Ready to Die by Notorious B.I.G. Just because I was like, man, this movie has so much music in it, and what's a great New York album. So I was listening to Ready to Die during my my workout, and I was like... "Ah." I don't think people would appreciate, I mean, that's violent. It's so hilariously violent and it's just shock value. Um, but people listening to it would probably like struggle with it still. And then I was like, okay, what about Nas Elmatic? It's just so crazy. Growing up in the eighties, nineties, I got to see hip hop really transition into what it is. Um, because if you listen to eighties, you know, hip hop, uh, it transitions towards the, you know, the end of the eighties and then, if you were to listen to albums from, like, 91, 92 versus, like, 94, 95, there's a wild transition that happens there that we've never seen. Like, And nothing's really changed since then, since, like, 95, 96. Hip-hop really hasn't evolved much. I would say the most that's evolved was uh, Lauren Hill whenever she came out in, like, 98, you know, doing what she does, uh, this really incredible blend of hip-hop and R&B. And Drake has come along, and he's kind of as good as Drake is and don't get me wrong. He's, he's a King, you know, uh, he's, he's not, he's no Lauren Hill. Like she's just, she's it. She's in my top five, um, MCs all time. And so I just, yeah. And so I was looking for what's a really good New York album. And then I started thinking about Nas Illmatic. And I feel like if you're casually taking in hip hop, you know, you've probably listened to Illmatic, uh, because it's labeled as one of the classics rightly. So it's, you know, it's fantastic. But instead of that, I'm going to recommend something that I think vibes a little bit closer with Spider-Verse, which is Nas's Stillmatic. Um, I want to say this is like 2001-ish. And it's just it's such a good album. Uh, underrated, I think, for one of the reasons it carries Ilmatic in its name, right? Stillmatic. Uh, but I love it. It's a great vibe. It's a great album. And so I'll link it in the show notes. But I'm sure it's on everything you can find it on, like, uh, app-wise. Apple Music, Spotify, whatever. Um, yeah, not stomatic greatness. Uh, yeah, and stay tuned for next week. We're going to outer space. Uh, we've gone everywhere around the world through the multiverse. Now let's see if we can get to the moon and back with Apollo 13. So stay tuned for that. And if you're enjoying this show, don't forget, subscribe, drop us a review, leave us a note. Uh, If there's something you want to talk about, kind of things you find interesting. um, Yeah, it's all good. And you can leave a message on this uh, episode, if you wish, at thepestlepodcast.com slash Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse.
0: No hyphens. (laughs) No hyphens. (laughs) And our quote of the day is from Immanuel Kant. Act that your principle of action might safely be made a law for the whole world. Wow. I mean, yeah, I mean, so what I take from that and, and correct me if my opinion is incorrect, (laughs) but um, what I kind of take from that is that you think that what you do is safe, right? Because, oh, you know, I could just throw this wrapper down on the ground. It's just one wrapper and it's just me just doing it. But if that was made fine for everyone on the planet to do, quickly, it would be a bad thing. Right. So maybe act that way in all of your decisions. Is that kind of
1: what this is? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a great way to phrase it too. Nicely done. No, I, it, it, it's kind of
0: what I, what we try to teach our kids,
1: Mm.
0: my Simon and Charlotte, that that just because, I mean, it's something as small as just because you can wake up and not brush your teeth doesn't mean that everyone should not brush their teeth every day, you know, or that brushing your teeth every morning or not brushing your teeth every morning is okay. making good habits, making good decisions on a daily basis breeds, you know, goodness in the world, I think, because then good habits are made by not just you, but then you kind of like show these good habits to the rest of the world and maybe the good habits will take form in a interesting way that that's beautiful
1: yeah kant is this german philosopher from like the 1700s um thanks to the good place i'd never heard of kant before watching the the good place um and like hearing some of his philosophy espoused on that show was really really cool and so I've got him queued up for later this year. I'm going to read some of his work, but I love applying. And so thinking about the trolley problem and some of the moral dilemmas these characters are going through, I really wanted to uh, look up some quotes from Kant um, that kind of summarize in some way what's happening within the film. And I, I think this is a really good one because what a terrible principle Miguel's kind of alluding to, which is you need to let someone die. And really, that's it. Like, it doesn't matter what you say wow. after that. You need to let someone die. How un Spider Man of him. That's the yeah. least, you know, heroic thing you can possibly force on a superhero like Spider Man, um, especially someone as young as Miles Morales, right? You know, the older you get, probably a lot of people get jaded and less idealistic and they start talking about r- realism and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's just this heartless view of the world that I just refuse (laughs) to succumb to. Um, And that's kind of what he's telling miles. He's giving him this life guidance of sometimes you just need to let bad stuff happen so that, you know, other things can be okay. It's like, nah, I'm going to do my own thing. Like this is not what's going to happen in my life. That's your life. You go, you go do that. I'm going to go do what I know is right, which is saving people. Fine. Yeah. He's my father. That's good. But even if it's not, I'm still saving people. I got to go save that guy on the bridge right now. I don't care that I don't know him. Never met him. Doesn't matter. I save people. That's my principle. I'm going to apply it across the board. If everyone did this, everything would be good. You know, this is, yeah, I love this contradiction between Miguel and I feel like that's the real showdown as bad as spot is. I feel like the real showdown is going to be between miles and Miguel um, I think you're right. See some interplay in their naming, right? Um, the some alliteration and uh, you yeah. know, phonetic play. Yeah. Uh, so that's the real battle I'm looking forward to. Will Miguel adapt? I think Gwen calls him a vampire. Like, I don't know his deal. Uh, There's something about him that I don't think we fully understand yet. So there's there's some interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm excited, man. Part two. So,
0: yeah, it's part two is going to be so good. And and he Miles actually says that. Nah, I'm going to do my own thing. (laughs) What great writing. Like, that's how somebody would talk nah, I'm going to do my own thing. Like, absolutely. You know, like it's
1: so great. The attitude is there. It really represents like who this kid is. And that's the hardest part about writing dialogue. I've seen, you know, I cruise the subreddits uh, for screenwriting. And some people, they write, uh, and this is what we experience a lot in voice acting, which is people write what looks good on the page instead of Mm -hmm. how people actually talk yeah and those are two different things and here in the film obviously it's a really great job of writing it and i i'd expect there's some uh flexibility with allowing the actors to kind of naturalize it a little bit more like yeah yeah yeah. okay if that's what lands right now because on a given day we speak a little bit differently and so uh, today how does it feel to you okay speak like that like whatever works and flows you know correctly god yeah i'm excited bro (laughs) yeah
0: me too me too and hopefully hopefully they made them both at the same time so the Mm -hmm. next one will come out soon so that's what i'm hoping who knows Anyway, great, great discussion here. I can talk about this all day just like you could. So good. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this episode. Like Wes said, please subscribe, review us um, wherever you get your podcasts or if it's on YouTube, wherever, um, and share us with your friends. It all helps a lot. And if there's a film you'd like to see us break up, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So just let us know. Until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.